You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, good evening on this uh, rainy Sunday. I'm going to ask you to just consider for a moment. Uh, I've considered this a lot. Uh, perhaps you already have them, but I do not. Um, but if you were to get a tattoo, what would it be? Now, I'm not weighing in on your moral views on tattoos, but I often see them around and I feel this pressure to get a tattoo. And I've not gotten one yet, but I often wonder, you know, what would I want to communicate uh, both to myself and those who see it? What would be lasting and something I would want to imprint on my body? And often, of course, a Bible verse that sounds like a really good and pious thing to do. Uh, but I feel like a lot of folks in the culture, while that would be a good evangelistic uh, opportunity, they might yawn at that. I think I would like to put Martin Luther on my, my arm. Right here. That's supposed to be funny. You can laugh a little bit at that. It's kind of a ridiculous thought. Uh, and maybe you have a Martin Luther tattoo. I don't, and I kind of want one. Uh, I doubt I'll ever get one. Um, but Martin Luther, uh, and by the way, tomorrow is the 100, excuse me, 505th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, uh, which started in Germany uh, with Martin Luther. And Luther, to me, embodies um, the message of God's grace, the gospel. Um, and, and of course, I could put Romans 8 on my arm. I could put uh, one of our passages from Luke this uh, evening. But big, fat Luther, I think, communicates the freedom of the gospel but what he was doing in his time, and Luther was a prophet uh, to the medieval European church and all the abuses going on uh, in uh, the clericalism, the hierarchy, uh, the way that human effort was leveraged. Uh, the church was saying, you have to be a good person for God to love you. You have to give money for God to love you. And Luther was saying, as he mined the depths of scripture, he said, no, this is antithetical to what God has done in Jesus Christ, what he's proclaimed in his word. And so God calls various prophets uh, to the church and, as we see tonight, to Israel uh, when things are out of line. And so what I want to last on my arm is this proclamation that it's not human effort that saves, uh, but rather God's gracious and forgiving word. Well, Isaiah in his time, of course, was called uh, to proclaim a similar message, not, not exactly identical, different, uh, different time, different context, and yet there are abuses in the household of faith. And so Israel, while not coterminous with the church, not identical, remember, we've been grafted in. Uh, if anything, we should be peeking on what God has said in the Old Testament uh, and not skipping over it. Uh, but not the exact same entity. And yet, uh, the call is, is similar. Uh, we're called to, um, as we're grafted in, to be a blessing to others. We are blessed. We are forgiven. We are loved. Uh, we are given so much by God uh, to receive it, yes, on the first hand, but also to share it, not to hoard it, uh, to give it freely. And so in Isaiah's day, we see this word, and look how Isaiah addresses the people. He doesn't say, O people of Israel, O people of Judah or Jerusalem. He says, you rulers of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, what is he doing by saying that? Well, first of all, Sodom and Gomorrah, of course, is that ancient city, the cities where great injustice occurred. And I won't go into the details for some of our younger ears out there, but you probably know your scriptures. And their sexual sin, I'll just say, was an extension of their unjust society. And so Isaiah, God through Isaiah, is calling out the injustices in Israel. 
And he says, look, I can't stand your sacrifices. I can't stand your new moon festivals. I can't stand your Sabbath. I cannot stand your appointed feasts. My soul hates them. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Now remember, these are the religious people. These are people going, going to the temple. Could you imagine coming to church and hearing those words from God, perhaps through a prophet, saying, God can't stand, God cannot stand your worship. He cannot stand your Sunday evening ritual. He cannot stand the music that we play. Now, is it because he didn't ordain these things to be? No. As you read the Old Testament, of course, in the law, he told the people to worship in the manner in which they were doing. But their lives have been, become so incommensurate with uh, what God had said they should be and who they are and who they were and uh, how they behave uh, in practice. And so to worship and look squeaky clean on the Sabbath uh, and then Monday through Friday uh, just completely live an unjust life, God has no room for that. Now that you can see where this is starting to connect with you and me perhaps, is if we are a people in the church where on Sundays we're proclaiming God's love and his mercy and his graciousness, but the rest of the week we have nothing to do with it. In fact, even more so the opposite. We're out promoting injustice. Then maybe, just maybe, you could perhaps see uh, what Isaiah is getting at here, what God is getting at through his prophet. Two instincts often come, two uh, bad interpretations of what's going on here. The first often uh, we see a text like this, the church, and we say, see, the worship of Israel is complete idolatry. It's complete, you know, uh, God has given us Jesus Christ, and so those sacrifices no longer apply. And that is true, but of course, this had a season. And so this is not grounds for anti-Semitism. Secondly, uh, often people will say, well, to heck with it. Uh, worship is not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do good works. We're called to social justice. Forget this praying nonsense and this worshiping nonsense. Let's get out and uh, do the hard work. And that's a complete misreading too because Isaiah over and over again in the book, it returns to the temple. It's in chapter 6 that Isaiah is called from the temple to be a prophet. In chapter 36, we see the king Hezekiah praying and God hears the people's prayer, hears the king's prayer and blesses them favorably. Later in chapter 56, we see all the peoples gathered. This is not just the Jewish people, but all the people of the nations gathered around the temple, around God to worship him. And then uh, finally at the culmination, uh, chapter 66, you know, you see this grand vision of uh, what heaven might be like, that we would worship God eternally. And so, no, we're not throwing out worship, uh, but it recalibrates when we hear the words that we hear, and particularly in our context, uh, it should shape our lives. But again, we've got to keep Luther in the back of our mind, not just Luther, but St. Paul, and yes, even Isaiah, that it's not human effort. It's not our ability to go and do the works he's given us to do that makes God favorable towards us, that makes him love us. In fact, we can't make God do anything. The reminder is he's already been gracious unto us. He's already forgiven us and loved us. And so in response, perhaps we go and do the works he's talking about. So toward the end of our passage here, uh, he draws attention to what's going on, that they have uh, no eye for the fatherless, that they don't pay attention to the widow. All these injustices that they were called to make sure were right. And remember, this is a theocracy. This is a place where if anybody should get it right, it should have been uh, Israel in their time. 
Now, you and I, we don't have the same kind of control over our government. You know, we vote, we do our part perhaps, uh, but we don't have the same control. And yet you and I are called to contribute to God's justice, God's love uh, in the world, and to make things right. And so if we are people who are so bifurcated, where our worship is claiming one thing and then our lives are claiming another, uh, well, first of all, as this text is suggesting, uh, God not only frowns upon that, but judges that harshly. But secondly, consider the effect in the world. Consider the effect in the world. If we say God loves you, uh, but I'm unwilling to help you, or God loves you, but the church has uh, no place in justice. Well, people have no desire whatsoever to be a Christian, do they? Uh, we look more and more like a holy society and less and less uh, like the holy fragrance of God. Now, what am I saying to you in all this? Am I saying roll up your sleeves and go do the hard work? No, because I think ultimately you'll, uh, you'll burn out. I think for maybe five minutes you'll do that and then you'll quickly realize, oh, I've got to go to Paramount uh, this evening. Or, oh, I'm going to watch uh, the, the World Series tonight. And not that those are bad things, but let's be honest, we get distracted rather quickly. And the truth is, you and I already know the, the right things we're supposed to do. I mean, we know uh, what we're called to do. And so it's not me berating you and saying, try harder, that's going to get it done. I don't need to find a fancy illustration from my life uh, for you to be convinced of this, but looking at our gospel reading this morning, as they coalesce here, uh, Jesus uh, goes into Jericho and he encounters uh, a people and he's teaching. And so Zacchaeus, this uh, chief tax collector who was rich, the text tells us that, um, sees Jesus and wants to, to learn more. And so he climbs his way up a tree because he's a man who is short and small in stature so that he can see Jesus. And so after Jesus teaches, uh, he calls Zacchaeus. He says, come on down because I've got to stay at your house. So he sees the man. He sees the sinner. And remember, as uh, Ben mentioned last week, Canon DeHart, tax collectors, uh, they were nasty mob-like people. They were not nice guys. They were skimming off the top and even more so. And so uh, we know that Zacchaeus, just based on the practices of the day, he wasn't a good fellow. He was not one of the good guys. And yet Jesus calls him out by name, recognizing fully who he is, fully what his situation in society is, and says, I want to spend time with you. Inherent in this, he doesn't say the words, but inherent in this is the, the word of forgiveness, that he forgives him and he loves him. He's gracious unto him. And so the people grumble and they say, gosh, he's going into the house of a sinner. What is he doing? But then we see the fruits of that forgiving word. What does Zacchaeus immediately want to do? He wants to do right. He wants to honor God. So his response in being loved and forgiving and approached by Jesus is, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now we don't see... Uh, if Zacchaeus was good on his word. We only see his intentions, or at least the lip service he pays. But I believe he's earnest in this. We see an excitement, a uh, pep in his step. And maybe he goes and does a little bit of this. But it wasn't Jesus saying, try harder. It wasn't Jesus saying, go do the right thing. It was Jesus breaking down that wall to uh, be in the midst of a tax collector, to be near a sinner, to forgive him, and to be gracious unto him. And in receiving that forgiveness and graciousness, Zacchaeus is moved to do the will of his father. He's moved to do it. And so our call every Sunday, every Monday, every Tuesday, every day of the week as a Christian when we worship God is to hear his word, to hear his gracious and loving word to us. 
And that's why we come and we over and over and over and over again talk about the gospel here at Church of the Advent. It's because it's the only thing that can save us. That God in Jesus Christ has moved towards us. And in his cross and resurrection, he's forgiven us. He's given a place to us in God's kingdom. He's laid out a feast for us, this heavenly banquet you see tonight on that table that points to the heavenly banquet we'll have for eternity. The word of the gospel, the word of the good news is despite ourselves, God has moved towards us and loved us. And so hearing that word uh, authentically and actually where we live, perhaps it moves us to go and care for the orphan, to care for the widow, to care for those who can't care for themselves. Recognizing that God has given us everything. We have nothing to lose. We didn't earn his salvation and we can't lose it either. It's freely a gift. And so having everything, uh, we're not susceptible to uh, the needs to fulfill ourselves. God has done all for us, and we can go and have the eyes for those outside of our walls. I reflect on this often as a father. I reflect on this often as a husband. When I'm focused on my needs, I can't be a good dad. When I'm focused on my needs, I can't be a good husband. When I'm focused on my needs, I can't be a good pastor. The gospel reminds me that all my needs have been met in Jesus Christ, and it turns my gaze from looking down on my navel out into the world that needs God's grace. And I'm just a broken vessel that gets uh, to go for the ride and carry that word, needing to hear the word every week too. Luther was, going back to Luther, he was approached after one of his sermons, and again, he preached the gospel every week. And one of his parishioners said, now when are you going to start preaching something else? In other words, we've got this gospel thing. Let's, let's get to the meat of the faith. And Luther said, when you start looking like people who believe the gospel, I'll start preaching something else. What he meant by that was, he meant that we are all broken down by our selfishness, uh, the, the world itself, our sinful nature. We're beaten down. And every week he looked out on a congregation that needed a word of life. I'm not saying you look beat down and beat up, but I am saying I know what human nature is. God has appointed for you to be here this evening, to hear his gracious word. And perhaps he's calling you out of the tree to come down and to be with you and to share a meal with you this evening, forgiving you and loving you so that the word of Isaiah could be true, that all of your blemishes, which are red like scarlet, will become white as snow. And maybe, just maybe, as you hear that, your eyes turn outward and upward and beyond yourself. And maybe for the first time you can actually care and love for someone else, not out of duty or obligation, and certainly not for the need to impress God, but because he has loved you first, and therefore you go and do likewise. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.